Hey everybody, welcome back to Linux Cast. I'm your host Matt, and I'm Tyler. All right, so this is the Linux Cast. My collar is fucking around again because this shirt is horrible. Anyways, uh, <laughs> good job, Matt, with the start of the podcast. <laughs> this is the Linux Cast. We talk about Linux things, not the the state of Matt's collar. Uh, anyways, this is going to be the most uh, unorganized podcast I think we've ever done. From the, just from the just be. just from the uh, pre-show alone, I have a feeling that we're gonna have we're gonna see a tangent. We're gonna ooh tangent. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> we're gonna be talking about some good stuff today. So, uh, fo- so bleh, I can't even talk either. So I might as well just stop now. All right, that was the show, guys. I can't talk anymore. We're gonna have to go. All right, Tyler, what have you done this week on Linux? Nothing. We're we're gonna have to change that because. You're not a Linux user anymore. At least, at least you're using something open source. Uh, it yep. could be worse. You could be using like Windows or something. Yeah. Um, well, um, I mean, to that regard, I I guess we could, for the first time in forever. He is such a complete I noob. Forgot. I mean, yep. it's, it's like he's never done a podcast before. Yep. <laughs> maybe maybe his brain has been fried because of all that solarized he's been looking at. Maybe, man. That's a that's a good argument. It definitely, we could just blame Solarized. I think definitely, we should. Definitely blaming Solarized. <laughs> but uh, I've pretty much just been working on the mini ITX build because um, I'm taking it out. I got a Pico power supply to go in it, and this OpenBSD setup is now going to be hyper portable and go with me everywhere. Um, I've been writing some markup guide or markdown um, guides that'll be going up to a GitLab repository so people can have some, uh, I don't know, just some of the stuff that I found to be really useful. I've actually started like jotting down notes on a notepad here next to me and putting up guides. So uh, I'm going to upload that here before too long. Um, and then also I've been reaching out and going to start doing some um like a series, uh, kind of like I had started with the Linux crew, but I'm just gonna I'm just gonna rename it and actually like make it a, pro- a proper playlist for it, and uh, we're just gonna go by the the Unix crew and then pick it back up from there. And so that's what I've been working on. So. Uh, every time someone says Unix, I picture Jurassic Park. Oh, I know this. It's Unix. <laughs> 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 and then she show they show something that doesn't look anything. <laughs> Like, yeah. <laughs> like, it's maybe, like, DOS. like maybe it was an app in Unix or something. I don't know. But it, it just like, first of all, oh, well, she's like 14 years old. Oh, this is Unix. I know Unix. <laughs> Sorry. I, I told you I was going to be easily distracted today, man. I just. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you're going to be, you said you're going to be using your gaming PC out in the, the living room, right? So. Yep. We talked about this in the pre-show, but you were. Uh, It'd be really cool if there was like a streaming a way to stream it to your uh, BSD thing. That'd be awesome. Hopefully, here before too long, Valve will get some kind of browser version of Steam Link. I really hope so. That'd be awesome. I know there's other solutions, but Steam Link would just be the easy one. Yeah. I wonder why they. I mean, I understand why they didn't do it in the browser to begin with because you know it would have sucked. But um, yeah. at least nowadays, it seems like it'd be something that would do. Because, I mean, like, um, say what you want about Stadia and GeForce Now and stuff. They seem to be doing at least something uh, that could 
work in that realm. But uh, it'd be better because obviously you're not going to deal with a tunnel latency because you're just, you know, a wall away. Yep. Yeah. Although, chances are if they're going to do it through a web browser, it'd probably be... Um, it'd probably have to go up to a server somewhere and then come to you. So, it'd, you know, it would be that great. Now that I think about it. Um, well, unless, I mean, unless there's something... I mean, I wonder... Because well, there, has, I mean, there has to be something like... Um, like like a screen share something or the other on on BSD you'd think right something where you could well yeah there's there's plenty of different ways that they could do it where it could be done locally yeah and not and still access through the browser um, I mean hope hopefully they they implement something like that but I'm sure there's reasons why they haven't done it I'm sure there's some pretty difficult technical limitations to get around also there's like twelve people who use BSD. <laughs> Listen. Yeah. Well, yeah. There's 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 a very select. Few let let me let me restate that. There's like 12 people who use BSD who want that. I mean, there's tons of people who use BSD, and there's lots of servers, obviously. But I mean, you're never yeah. gonna run Doom on on a server. I mean, you shouldn't. I mean, yeah. I I, I can I can God, I can just. I've played Doom off GeForce now, so. Yeah. I could just see. Someone getting like an IT guy getting fired, and you know, why, you know, why he got fired because he was playing Doom on the server <laughs> instead of doing what he was actually supposed to do. But it plays on Office DSD, man. I had to do it. <laughs> all, right, all right, so I actually, unlike my esteemed colleague over there, actually did things on Linux this week. So uh, I'm for a while now. So one of the first videos I made was on a program called ZimWiki. And it may actually be the first video I actually made that wasn't a podcast. So way back in September of 2020. And uh, I used Zim for a long time. So if you don't know what Zim is, it's a like a, like a note-taking wiki kind of thing where you can create like a, data, a knowledge database worth of stuff. And it's free open source. It's really good. Um, but in my quest of moving everything that I do into the terminal, because, hello, nerd, um, mm -hmm. I moved to VimWiki. And VimWiki is actually really good. It does a lot of stuff that ZimWiki does, but it does it inside of Vim, and you can use the Vim keys, and it's amazing. Because everything that Vim does is amazing, by the way. I'm just going to put that out there. Emacs sucks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> mm -hmm. Yep, I agree. <laughs> Um, anyway, I don't even take that as a joke. I completely 100% well, agree. I, I, I did that because I know there's somebody in the chat that's, that's going to get triggered by it. I'm just, <laughs> you know, that's going to happen. Anyways, um, yep. but the problem is, I said that, and then I'm going to say that there's something wrong with, with VimWiki. The, the the problem is, is that I have multiple VimWikis, and navigate navigating them is not easy. Also. Creating the like the directory structure inside of Vim so that you can actually name things the same. So um, a lot of the things that I do require like me having like the date and what I I really would like to create like a folder structure of like you know 2022 then April then the date like zero four. But every month has a zero four. And the way VimWiki does stuff is that if even if it's in the if the it would store all those things in the same directory. So it would have the same path. So when you got to, like, if you had a, a March 04 and you got to April 04, it would actually be reading the March 04 file. And it's annoying as fuck. So I've had actually, which I, what I've been doing is just making sure that every, 
uh, index has its own unique name, file name. And that has been okay, but it's not necessarily the way <laughs> Peter was like, unsubscribe. <laughs> yeah. So the Emacs comment. I knew he was there. I, just, I said it just for him. <laughs> uh, anyways, so um, I've just been doing the, the unique file thing in the wiki, but it's gotten... I go into that directory and it is just a, a mess. Like it's like hundreds and hundreds of files in the same directory. Now you can create other directories, but it's inconsistent when it wants to do it. Like you can do, if you create a link inside of VimWiki and do a name and then a slash and then the name of the file, it's supposed to either create the new directory if it's not created or store whatever you're doing inside of the directory that already exists, but it doesn't always do it. And I don't know why. I'm obviously doing something wrong. But anyways, the whole point of the thing, all that rambly shit was, was that I'm moving back to Zim, which is unfortunately a, a GUI application, but it's actually still really good. Um, so that's what I've been doing. There is supposedly a way to move all the stuff from VimWiki back to Zim. I just haven't figured it out yet. Like, it, it shouldn't be hard because Zim just stores stuff as text files in with Markdown. Uh, but... I haven't figured out how to translate those two yet. Um, I also created, uh, I've been doing a little bit of scripting, so I've been trying to use my standing desk more. Because I've told myself, because I found, all right, so you talked me into this, Tyler. This is because of you. There is mm -hmm. a desk. So I've been planning for a long time to get a new desk, because my desk, it wobbles. It has termite damage. It's so freaking old. Um, but the, 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 the point is, is that I need a new desk, but... Um, originally, my plan was just to get an L-shaped desk that was just like three or four hundred dollars, and you know that's and, and I would keep that as my standing desk. But I found a desk on Amazon. It's way more expensive, like twelve hundred bucks. But it's an it's an L-shaped desk like I want, but it's a standing desk. The whole thing rises. It's oh wow, it's okay. amazing, and I want it, and I'm but I'm not gonna get it if I'm not gonna use the damn thing. So. I've been using the standing desk for a long time. I've had that thing for ages, but for the most part, I'd use it like once a day and then forget about it. So what I did was I created myself a script that is triggered by a cron job through the hours of 11 in the morning to like 7 at night. It goes off once every hour, flashes up with a dunce notification in the middle of the fucking screen and says, Matt, move your lazy ass to go to the standing desk. <laughs> so it reminds me to go over there and use the standing desk. That's what I did. Um, it, I'm, I'm going to... Because you, you know how the, the computer can make its own sounds? Like there's like a little speaker inside of every computer. Like just yeah. It just makes a, a, a ding, right? I'm going to use that to actually make a, like a sound. I haven't got that part yet. But that way, because yeah. I always have my, my headphones in, in. So playing a sound through the headphones wouldn't actually work. So I'm going to hear it. I use that speaker. It'll play outside of the headphones uh, and make a, a loud noise. Um, yeah. So the other thing that I did I want, that I really want to talk about is that I made a new end screen for the videos. So you you probably won't see this, but everyone else on the uh, stream will see this. And uh, oh. it is a uh, it's an animated end screen that has all of the patrons and stuff, uh, like like a scrollable text thing. It's really freaking cool. Um, and I spent a while doing that. It turns out that it's actually fairly easy in. Um, Kaden live to do it, but it's just something that I didn't know how to do, so I actually had to, you know, uh, learn how to do this stuff. So, yeah, that is uh, that's what I've been doing. Uh, that was actually really fun. So, awesome. Um, I did a lot of like some some weeks I really have a hard time coming up with something to put in this section. Like, what did I do this week other than work my ass off? 
Uh, like, you know, like I can imagine. Oh, I, I typed 100,000 words this week. Boring. Um, I like I edited for like 90 people. That's great. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this week I actually had a lot of stuff. So, um, F Society, I don't know what you mean. Why are you moving again? I'm not moving again. I'm, I'm not who you're you talking to. Um, but anyways, the moving on to the contact information. Uh, you can subscribe to the Linux Cast. At, uh, I need to really need to change that because you can't. I mean, you can subscribe at the LinuxCast.org. But there's way more stuff there now because there's actually a freaking website there. So all of the stuff you can find that you want to find, including links to past episodes, are at the linuxcast.org, including some blog posts. I haven't blogged in a couple weeks, so uh, I should get back to doing that. I, I usually release a blog post to patrons about a week early, but they actually have the last blog post, and I haven't released it for the public yet. So that's been a couple weeks. Anyways, that's linuxcast.org. Uh, you can support me on Patreon at patreon.com slash linuxcast. You can subscribe to Zany on YouTube at, at youtube.com slash zanyogs. Uh, it was like three weeks ago he reached 1,000. He's like at what, close to 1,400 now. So uh, he's growing, which is good. Uh, uh, he's also on Odyssey, and there's the store, and there's a Discord channel, all that stuff. Uh, links to all the stuff that you could possibly want to find is at the linuxcast.org slash contact, and you can subscribe to uh, the LinuxCast on YouTube at youtube.com slash linuxcast, where we're very closely to uh, getting to 11,000 subscribers, which is, I mean, it was like yesterday we got to 10,000 subscribers. Exactly. It's, it's absolutely, <laughs> I, I say this every week, but... I just I'm astonished at how fast the channel is growing. Um, absolutely not. Um, like it's very inspiring. Yeah. I'll say that. Um, so thank everybody who's subscribed. If you haven't already, go do that. All right. So Tyler, every single week we scour the interwebs for the latest and breaking news. Seriously, you couldn't find this news anywhere else, even on CNN. But here, this is absolutely exclusive. You'll never hear this anywhere else. And it's obviously 100% complete and accurate and fun and um, uh, true news. So, Tyler, what is your news link of the week? <laughs> After that buildup, it better be damn good. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> well, mine is actually kind of interesting. Um, it's actually a article on... Uh, Linux systems are becoming more and more like threats for malware and viruses. And it's a very in-depth um, article that that goes over many different, it explains many different reasons um, that they, the conclusion that Linux is becoming more of a target for threats. It goes through it very well. I'm going to just read a portion of uh, the article, just these two paragraphs here. Uh, FortiGuard researchers also saw botnet activity related to a new variant of Red XOR. Don't know what that is, but uh, malware that, well, here it is, malware that targets Linux systems for data exfiltration. Again, not too familiar with that, but I'm going to assume it's uh, not good. Exfiltration of data doesn't sound fun. Meanwhile, a malicious implementation of the beacon feature of the Cobalt Strike called Vermilion Strike targets Linux systems with remote access capabilities. And then, of course, it goes into the Log4j um, exploit, which... I feel like most people who keep up with Linux news have heard that exploit was kind of, you know, uh, big news. But again, with most of these things, they're 
fixed very quickly. But um, the second paragraph, as, as the use and integration of Linux expands, we can expect more attacks to surface. For example, cyber attackers are likely to see opportunities in Microsoft's active integration of Windows subsystem for Linux, a compatibility layer used for running Linux binary executables natively on Windows. And that's pretty damn true. Linux has gotten to the point now where it's just as much of a target as the bigger competitors, Windows and Mac are. And it's interesting that with it being a community distro, which means pretty much all the work that's done on it is in professional spare time. It's, it's funny that problems are fixed pretty much on par, if not faster than companies that have paid employees during the day to do it. And also that it's staying competitive. Like it's still just as secure as it was before it became a threat and is still the better choice compared to Windows or Mac for security. Just interesting you know what we really need we need some kind of i don't know what what we'd call it maybe we could call it like a a foundation or something it could take the name of the linux foundation or something like that i don't know that's a silly name i know it's obviously 100 percent unoriginal but if we had this foundation that got i don't know millions and millions of dollars from corporations and and apparently does jack shit with it (laughs) maybe if they had this found this mythical foundation they could put some of that money that they earned towards making things more secure i don't i don't know um it's a it's a that's that's just silly talk (laughs) obviously that foundation is never going to exist come on (laughs) just just stop that's crazy come on man like this like obviously the sad part is is if this mythical foundation did exist, I wonder, I wonder if they would use the money that they got more responsibly than the bigger corporations that are giving them the money. I wonder. Yeah, I'm going to say no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to say no. Um <laughs> I would challenge any like regular Linux user, like somebody who just uses desktop Linux, like that doesn't actually, you know, spend a lot of time looking this shit up to to actually like you're probably too young to remember like when Jay Leno went onto the street and started asking people questions. You remember in the late night shows when the late night show comedians used to do that? Yeah, um, I remember. If you went out and did that and asked people what the Linux Foundation actually does, nobody would actually be able to answer you that question. And the, the sad part is, is that's even if they, you know, even if you went into like a Linux Fest Northwest or something like that and asked them what the Linux Foundation did, like half of them probably would be able to give you a, a reasonable answer. The other half, like, I don't know. <laughs> well, know? I mean, even the people who are educated on what the Linux Foundation does will tell you, eh, I mean, like they'll give you stuff, but they're not they're not like good uses of money. Well, then, like, well, you, they you know they talk about Linux. There's gonna be a, a fair few people that are gonna say, oh, they support the Linux desktop. 
<laughs> no. No. <laughs> they no, really they don't. don't. Like they use Max, bro. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> they, they they don't That was that was the best scandal that has ever come out of Linux. That is just <laughs> it is so juice. Like the Linux Foundation uses MacBooks. Yeah. God, yeah. Just... Like they they can't even pronounce Ubuntu, let alone use it. I'm just putting this out there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so my news of the week is a little bit also uh, upsetting. I w- when I saw this earlier, I was pretty upset about it. Uh, Fedora has plans to drop legacy BIOS support in all future ISOs. Um, and I understand that the uh, pace of innovation must carry on. That's the way things work. And the vast majority of s- every new system that comes out in the last probably... 15 years probably uses or can support EFI. The problem is, is that not everybody wants to use EFI because it's a pain in the tuchus. <laughs> so, uh-huh. um, I've I've used Legacy BIOS on every single Linux install that I've ever done. I've never a single time used UFI, UEFI. Even though all my computers that I've ever installed Linux on support UEFI, I just use Legacy BIOS because it's so much easier. I mean, you don't have to worry about creating a proper size, you know, uh, partition for the EFI stuff. You don't have to worry about what your partition is, you know, whether it's MBR, or GDP, or GDR, or whatever the hell it's called. Um, GPT, yeah. Yeah, GPT. I knew it started with a G. There you go. Yep. Um, I, I, I know these things, the words just get mixed up in my head. Anyways, the, the, the point is, is that, you know, I've never done it. So I'm a little worried about this. And it's not because, like, oh, no, I can't use Fedora anymore. That's obviously not where I'm looking. But the problem is, is that where Fedora goes, everyone else follows. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, all, and if you want examples of where this is true, Wayland Pipewire. Hello. They went to Wayland mm-hmm. Pipewire. Everyone else went to Wayland and Pipewire. System D. You know, they started using System D. Everyone else went to System D. You know, it's this, this is the way Fedora works. I, mean, I think System D was actually before Fedora it was probably Red Hat, but still the point remains. Um, but the so in all future versions of, or I should say they're they're thinking about this. The, the article opens up saying that they're thinking about this or is considering dropping support. Uh, but the rest of the article acts like it's a done deal, like it's actually done now, like. I pretty much knew that this was going to happen someday. I'm just very sad that, that day's, you know, here. Um, so, well, and also, it doesn't make any sense. Like, okay, like, I mean, hopefully, the article goes into some in-depth explanation of why this change is good. Because, as far as I know, like, right, well, it says why? many desirable features require UEFI, such as applying firmware updates and supporting secure boot, which is Okay, sure, but didn't we just all mock Microsoft because they required Secure Boot to upgrade yeah, to Windows who, 11? Like, <laughs> I mean, who, well, who the fuck cares about Secure Boot? Like, uh, seriously, on the desktop, who cares? Well, I mean, like, even what? even if you do care, you have the option to do it. You know, that's the whole point. Now, they, re- they say the reason why they want to get away from bi- a legacy BIOS is because of the maintenance cost that it takes to keep up with legacy BIOS, but... I don't know anything about this, but are things changing in Legacy BIOS world? I mean, <laughs> that that is the craziest excuse I've ever heard. The like, the maintenance cost? What? It's called Legacy BIOS for a freaking reason. 
and I doubt too much changes. Um, what? Yeah, exactly. What is changing <laughs> in the like? What? The, like I'm pretty sure there has. What does that even mean? Like, well, let, let, let me see where. It says maintainability has declined as age, and the current status quo maintaining both stacks in perpetuity is no longer viable for those doing that work. That's ex- that's exact quote from the article. And um, okay, like okay, let's just say that there's things that we don't understand. Obviously, that's 100% possible, right? Neither one of us mm-hmm. are true Linux developers. We're not kernel maintainers. We're none of those things. So it's 100% possible that there is some kind of maintenance cost to legacy BIOS, but Here's my thing. One of the things that makes Linux great, and of the many, many things, and this kind of says true for probably BSD2, right? But whatever. The, the point is, one of the things that makes Linux great is that you can have a 15 or 20-year-old laptop, and you can install Linux on it, and it will work fine. That's one of the things about Linux. is that It allows sustainability for things that work. And it doesn't even have to be a 15 or 20-year-old laptop. We've just went through a whole new cycle of a whole bunch of hardware getting basically put into landfills because Microsoft said you have to have this chip. Now, obviously, there's become workarounds for that stuff and whatever, but the point is is that before we knew that there were workarounds, we just thought that anything that was like four years old or older was not going to be able to run Windows 11. So it was going to be stuck on Windows 10 or whatever, and then it was just going to be trash. Uh, the thing about Linux is that we never had to put up with that because we know... Because it's Linux, and it's the way it's always been, is that it you can use those things. Therefore, now obviously, four-year-old laptops and desktops can support UEFI just fine. Uh, it's the older stuff that's not going to be able to support it. But the point still kind of remains is that this is basically the same move Microsoft just did that we mocked them for. At least exactly. the way I think of it. Um, and, and yes, it's going to affect probably way fewer people because way fewer people are still using uh, Linux on older hardware, but it still kind of removes one of the primary selling points of actually using Linux. Hey, you know, install Linux on this, you know, 10-year-old laptop. It's going to work just fine. It's going actually probably going to work better than it did when it was new in, in some yeah. cases, you know? So, well, I mean, um, that's, the, that's the whole great part about Linux is you have it, you have it running on your main desktop. You have it running on your little old Raspberry Pi, on your fucking smart TV. You, you have it on all your devices. So that's kind of the beauty. You've got a coherent like mm-hmm. system throughout. I don't, to, to me, it's, it's great. Like I, I, I genuinely don't understand the, the amount of features that are going to require work on legacy systems like for it to affect like affect anything enough to the point where it's too expensive to maintain BIOS like legacy BIOS support. Well, one of the things the article said was that UEFI is something that can be supported. You just support it once, and it's it it that support work goes into every machine that supports UEFI because it's all the same. It's, it said that uh-huh. every legacy BIOS is completely different, so they have to support many different legacy BIOSes. But again, I have to say, how has that changed from the last 10 years? Legacy BIOS hasn't changed oh. in 10 years yeah, at all. And, and it's not like you're having to add more support for legacy, but like it, there's not more legacy BIOS being made. And there's not, as far as I know, there's pretty much no motherboard manufacturers pushing out BIOS updates that are 
well, not necessarily not worth anything, but, you know, massively improved, like adding features. Well, at least on, on, the, on the Intel side, that's true. On the AMD side, they at least push things for, like, new CPUs every once in a while because the AM4 stock has been around for a long time. But the, 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 the point still remains is that they're not pushing out things that are going to change legacy BIOS. All that stuff is for, yeah. you know, the newer stuff. And even th- there's a hundred, like... The vast majority of people who are worried about supporting new CPUs every time with a BIOS update, you know, those people are probably using UFI anyways. It's not legacy BIOS is not going to affect them. Anyways, you cut out. Great. Um, can you not hear me now? Hello. Oh, there we go. Now you come back. Great. Discord. Great. That's awesome. Awesome. Anyways. (laughs) Uh, Peter said in the in the chat, but it doesn't affect Linux; it just affects affects Fedora. The point was made earlier that f- people, distros follow Fedora on everything. Like it's the way Linux has seemed to have worked over the last twenty years. Is that Fedora does Fedora is the Mac of us. Like that's literally what it is. Yeah. As, yeah. In the computer space, when Apple does something, most people follow it. Like yes, there's going to be the outliers, but most people follow it in the tech space. Same thing with the Linux space and Fedora. As soon as they do something, it bleeds out into the rest of the ecosystem. And, and he's probably right that there will be... Uh, there, there's obviously going to be some distros that, you know, maintain legacy BIOS support. They're not all going to go away. The problem is that the the, the, you know, like the big ones, like the, the ones that everyone uses, Fedora, Arch, uh, Ubuntu, they will all follow this eventually in the next year or so and that's what worries me just a little bit now obviously i'm not that worried because i can always just do ufi it's just more of a laziness thing but it's just changing something that i've always done to do the new thing is kind of a pain in the ass Um, that's why i'm bitching about it because i don't want to do it and it makes i mean it's a it it's a valid thing to bitch at because i mean it it definitely will affect not just a few people quite a few people yeah like quite a few I don't know. That's that's one of the reasons why I, I think OpenBSD kind of excels in this area, where like you don't really have things that just randomly will just change. I mean, we're it's still using the same file system, like since from since I was born. It's just been improved and made more performant. Like it, like nothing really changes. Like like you're gonna switch over and stop so, i mean if open psd can do both legacy and bios or uh ufi i don't g- genuinely it's gonna be hard like if a project with like a few hundred de- developers can can maintain support for legacy bios just fine <laughs> and yet come on, and, and yet red hat that has the support of ibm can't <laughs> Right, that's exactly, exactly. Right. like <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, there's something going on there. I, I, the thing is, I don't think I think that the, I'm going to do a poll on on my on my community tape on my community page asking, do you use Legacy BIOS or do you use uh, UEFI? I'm very curious to see what the breakdown is because I bet you probably most people use U, UEFI now. Um, so, but. I don't know. It's so maybe it's not going to be as big of an outrage as I thought it was when I first saw when I saw that on Twitter and found that article. I was like, okay, like don't take this away from me, okay? <laughs> like, like this is the easy 
Because when I first installed Linux, installing on UEFI was not easy. Like the first time I used it was not something that was easy to do. Um, especially for someone who, who has no clue what the hell they're doing installing Linux. Like the first time I installed Linux, like I had no clue what I was doing. And there are certain things that she, like, I didn't know what to call MBRR and GPT or whatever it was, you know, what those things meant. Like, so the first time I did, I was like, I was trying to install Solus Budgie because that was going to be my first distro. I don't know why I chose Solus, by the way. It was just completely random shot in the dark. Uh, but I got in there, and I uh, figured out how to partition the, the drive. And I chose the one that is for legacy BIOS. But my computer at the time was still set to secure boot or for UEFI. And uh, so when I tried to, re- you know, I got it went install, obviously, and it was just a mess. And, you know, I had to actually learn it up, look it up and learn. But the point is, is I maintained to just do legacy BIOS because it was way easier. All right. Anyways, yeah. <laughs> spent a long time on that, but I knew going into that that I was gonna be uh, upset about it. So moving on to the main topic for today. Today, uh, its to- main topic is spreading the word about open source software. So uh, I kind of rephrased yours was so yours was should schools use FOSS, but my uh, my my rephrase of it was more how do we get more organizations like schools and government to use open source software, something a little bit broader. So, uh, Tyler, what do you think? Really, in all honesty, I I think it comes from we have to stop letting corporations fund schools. Like, and I, like, now, I, I mean, that is a topic that we, it's, it's multi-layered because schools we want funded and let's be honest we do a pretty shit job of funding schools so it's good that companies will come in and essentially build good build goodwill with a community and help a school get proper funding i think what we have to do is fund schools properly through government and then that way there's no need for a school to pick up a deal with Microsoft so that every computer runs Microsoft like products because that's as far as I know that's how most schools operate either the school gets a massive discount and I mean massive discounts for using Microsoft products and or they get direct funding from Microsoft because it I don't know that everybody knows this but big corporations do help fund schools it's not an uncommon thing Mm -hmm. so um, I mean I, I think that's kind of the biggest the biggest way of spreading it because I mean there's a reason why companies are willing to do it if you can if you can guarantee that the younger generation is being raised on your products then they're going to purchase your products it's just kind of common it's the same thing like when you hear people talk about like the catholic church like there's a saying that like you know as long as as long as the catholic church gets a hold of you at like age five or whatever your your chances of being a catholic for the rest of your life is pretty much guaranteed because if you if you the whole the whole idea behind that phrase is if you get someone who's young raise them on something the likelihood that they will stick to it for the rest of their life is pretty high 
And yeah, and that's so true. the reason why Google has done such a, a job of trying to get Chromebooks into the schools, right? Yep. All right, so my answer to this is less political, I guess. Um, it, it goes the other direction. What can Linux and the open source community do to get to change this? Because uh, obviously the problem you're talking about is probably not going to change, right? Um, yeah. Sadly. But there are things I think that could be done. One of the things is more hardware vendors. Like we really need like some main big hardware vendors that actually put Linux on laptops and tablets and stuff like that. Um, and I don't we we've seen some of this obviously like uh, Lenovo and Dell, but they treat their Linux laptops like redheaded stepchilds. Like you you go onto the Dell website and try to find the Ubuntu based Dell Latitudes or whatever that they sell. You can't find those things. It's like trying to find an ISO on Debian's website. Okay, <laughs> I'm just gonna put that out there. Okay, you it, it, like they're there, but you have to use Google to get to them. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the number one thing we need to work on is getting more hardware that actually has Linux on it. Because right now, the one thing you can't do is get a a, a school IT department if they're you know, if you want to laughably call a school that has a, an IT department, which is probably just like one dude, <laughs> you yeah, know, like, like he's the, he's one dude. There's no way that guy's going to go through and install Ubuntu on the entire fleet of laptops that they have. That's just asking way too much of any IT department, right? So no. when they buy hardware, it has to have Linux already on it. So and also. It can't be expensive. Like this can't be System76. Like I love System76. I desperately want one of their their desktops, but I can't afford three thousand dollars for a pre-built computer. You know, and that was before GPUs were plated in gold. By the way, <laughs> um, so it has to be something like it has to be cheap because there's no way that Linux is ever going to be able or pretty much anyone who does this is going to be able to give massive discounts like Microsoft or Google does, like you were talking about, right? Yeah. So it has to be something that they can put on a desktop or a laptop. Uh, I'm looking at you, Pinebook. Um, like, seriously, this is... Pinebook ha has an amazing opportunity if they could do this at scale at creating... Yeah. Actually, that's that's good that you bring up scale. Do you actually think that any of the current like hardware Linux vendors could do like in a reasonable time frame a deal with like a school. Like say they need like five hundred laptops. Re regionally, probably. Like globally, no, not right now. Um I could I could see like something like someone like like Pine sixty four or whatever to, to do this in like a couple schools it, it could be possible because they because they've obviously made hundreds of devices before for regular people i don't understand why they couldn't do it for just one or two schools i don't know if they could do it on scale to like a lot bigger than that it would be a lot harder because they obviously have yeah uh, every time you go to try to buy i've tried to go buy a pine book pro before and it's always mm -hmm. out of stock you know what I mean? that, that that's what i'm saying like as far as I know, even when it comes to a general market, they're pretty much always like either they're out of stock or you can order them, but 
like you have to wait a certain amount of time because you know like they they don't have the ability to pump them out quick enough to get it to you in you know a couple weeks or whatever they're they're pretty much back ordered or whatever yeah I mean, so, some so. of it is like peter says in in the chat is that it's um some of the more re- more recent stuff is because of the the shortages and stuff but it be, even before the shortages and stuff they had a hard time keeping those things in stock so scale is going to be the thing there but that's the type of thing that we we have to talk about is that the low price probably arm based laptops you know that's where that opportunity lies if somebody could figure out how to do that Raspberry Pi, okay? They obviously know how to do that shit at scale, because they do it at scale. They ship millions of little, you know, cards, like a credit card size computer. Put that thing in, in a Pinebook Pro, you know, and call it a day. You know, that's exactly yep. what needs to happen. Charge a couple hundred dollars for it, because, you know, whatever. Whatever it costs to make sure that it's at least a reasonable, you know, size screen. Maybe has touch on it if you can, if it can be afforded within budget or whatever. And uh, make sure it has a good keyboard and Wi-Fi and all that stuff. You know, the stuff that it needs. And Raspberry Pi has most of that stuff. Support from uh, Raspberry Pi already has support for touch screens. Already has support for the latest Wi-Fi. Has support for all this stuff. That's what. That's exactly how it needs to happen. Is, is if you create. Now, I don't think it's ever going to be like mainstream. Like, I think that we've passed the point where like every school is going to use a Linux laptop. But it doesn't have to be everyone. It just has to be just exactly how Raspberry Pi did it. They became an enthusiast thing first, and then more and more people came up. Now there's industries surrounding the, the Raspberry Pi. Do the same thing for laptops, and. You do the same thing for laptops. Some of that stuff will infiltrate government. It'll infiltrate schools. It'll infiltrate companies. You know what I mean? Because it's cheap. People love cheap. And if they can make it cheap and good, which the Raspberry Pi is definitely good, it's definitely something that could happen. Um, but because we were all like freaking out about how good the Raspberry Pi 4 was, like. Everyone said yeah. when it first came out, like, this thing is close to being usable as a desktop replacement. Like, it's that close. Like, it's not quite there yet. One more generation, it feels like. You could get there. You know, a little bit more RAM, maybe get up to 16 gigabytes of RAM. A little bit faster. A mm-hmm. uh, little bit more ARM support, which we're getting there. You know, it could be good. It could be good. Put that thing in a laptop. 200 bucks, 250 bucks, whatever. Bam. You know what I mean? That thing... Yeah. That thing uh, again, and we know that they can do that on scale. They're even doing it now in the middle of a freaking chip shortage, just, and they're still selling Raspberry Pis. You know, so that can't yeah. it can. I mean, happen. they're they're much less available, but that that doesn't. They're still pumping them out. Yeah, and it, you can still get a hold of one. You might have to buy it from a scalper, but let's be honest, in this day and age, you're buying everything from a fucking scalper. So <laughs> right. Yeah, how yeah. how you, know, you can't tell the difference between a scalper and like a regular person nowadays? They're all <laughs> exactly. we're, we're all scalpers now. Like if if I had gotten a, like a thirty ninety, my ass is scalping that thing. <laughs> you know, yeah. of course I am. If I can mark that thing up five times, of course I'm gonna sell it. You know, <laughs> hey, when gas is like more than like doubled, if not tripled in price. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. When you, got, you, you, you go to the gas station and like, oh, here's some cash. Oh, you, we need your cash and your foot. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, and your firstborn, okay? <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, so that's what I think is, it has to happen is, is cheap hardware 
because there is some truth to you build it and they will come. There's some truth. Now, I don't think it's going to be like Raspberry Pi makes a laptop and like everyone switches to it. I don't think that's going to happen. But no. there'd be some adoption of it. And really, that's all it's needed because it, it'd be just like Linux then. Slow adoption to the point where it finally matters. Like we just talked about hackers are finally taking notice of, of Linux. Finally, we made it. You know? Yep. <laughs> that's the yep. point. That's the point. Like, hello, <laughs> we've arrived. Uh, it, it would it would be the same thing. It would be slow and and steady growth, and that's exactly the way it would would have to work. And I think that that's um that'd be a good thing. I and the thing is is, is like I said before, it's 100% possible. Like there's I don't know why this has not happened yet. Like they they put it in a keyboard, slap a screen. I mean, the main thing is, is we need that next generation of Pi. Yeah, that's probably what they're waiting for is is a few more PCI lanes or something uh, so that they can add, you know, a couple more ports or maybe, uh, you know, a 4K screen or something. I don't even think, like, we don't, like, whatever. But still, the next generation, we should have to see that. It'd be so cool. I would buy four, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Like, like, like. Just, just think, you could buy four Raspberry Pi laptops for the price of one laptop. <laughs> like, this, I'll yeah. your entire family with brand new Raspberry Pi laptops. Um, I definitely do that. Yeah, and they'd set power too. Like, it just, it'd be great. You could run it off a potato. <laughs> you know, like literally, when it, it's it's Raspberry Arm. Um, uh, Ginger says that the Pi Four is out of stock in UK. I know that it's out of stock in a lot of places, but. Like I checked the other day, it was on Amazon. Like you could buy one off Amazon. So, um, I'm I'm assuming again probably a like a third party that has it. But still, the point is that you, you they can be found, and most of that right now is still because of the chip shortage. Um, but Genuinely you. though, I do think one of the one of the ideas that might be really really innovative that's a word um for for these like hardware manufacturers would be to get together and kind of pull their resources so that they can get deals made afford like where they can be competitive for schools where when a school does need new new desktops new laptops they they these hardware vendors and manufacturers for Linux devices can offer deals that are at the very least close to competitive with, with the bigger hardware vendors, which I'm not saying that's easy or necessarily feasible at the moment, but I'm sure with work, it could be possible. And that one, that one's probably going to do the most good for getting open source and FOSS into the hands of everyone. Well, cause I mean, it's, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, could you think just, even if it was on a small scale, like just a couple, like it was Raspberry Pi and Pine 64 got together and created a you know, device and, and figured out how to sell that thing for cheap, you know, cause if it's, if it's $200, they don't need a discount. It's $200. You know what I mean? Or maybe yeah. you could say, Hey, you want to give them a $50 discount because who gives a crap? It's $200. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where, especially with a focus on web apps, like ex, I mean, especially in schools, most of the stuff that you're doing is on web apps anyway. Yeah. So, um, and Electron exists, and it, I know people hate Electron, and it does take up a lot of memory, but 
they can make that shit better. You know, <laughs> like, like the, the idea behind Electron is actually pretty good. If they made it just a little bit better and a little bit more, you know, memory not so intensive, it, it could be really yeah. good. Um, but you also... You, or on the hardware vendor side, just make those affordable products and then just cheap out a little bit on, on the performance side on the CPU and put that put that money towards more RAM so yeah. that it's more optimized for running bigger web apps for school. That would make well, sense. The, and the, and the, the thing is, is that like we, I I, I keep coming back to like I don't know why this hasn't happened yet. Like it should it should have happened by now. It, it seems like it seemed like it was gonna happen with the four. I don't know. Um. Oh, what, what I was also gonna say is that th- this partnership that you're talking about has to be between companies that don't give a crap about profit, or at least. Have so little interest in profit, more interest in doing FOSS projects and stuff like that. So things like Raspberry. See, Pi I don't. I I disagree with that because if corporations who their sole focus is profit do this type of stuff, then we as a community, like or as as hardware vendors in the Linux community, have to do the same thing. And it obviously doesn't doesn't have to do with profits. Because uh, even if you look at it through the lens of profit, if people use your devices when they start, like it, if you go to school, like let's just say System76 becomes a massive hardware vendor for schools. If you go to school and you use all of your free applications on a System76 computer, even though there are multiple different vendors out there, you're more likely to purchase a System76 device because you know that's what you're used to using. And that's how most people operate. And so financially, it would make sense because later on down the line, when that kid gets older and has a more substantial amount of income, then they can afford to buy your nicer desktops and pre-built and stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think it has more to do more influence. I think that kind of thing has more influence with the software that it's running than the hardware. I don't really remember what my well, you want that? Well, yeah, okay. So I think what's true now, but it maybe not always was true because when you this was before you were born, youngin. But my first computer was one of those early Macintoshes, like the the boxy ones that use the the floppy disks as wide as my head. Um, so when at that point. Yeah, you use that, you knew you wanted a Mac. You know what I mean? And maybe that's probably still the truth for the schools that still use iPads and Macs. But if you're just using generic Chromebook number four, they probably don't give a crap about what the hardware is. But more it's about what you know Google's doing on it and providing you with that stuff. So I don't think that it's possible to create hardware that is so memorable to students that it impacts them in that way. But... The software that it would run would be where you would do your brainwashing, you know, get them influenced on Linux and using Linux applications. Um, that's where I, this is going to piss so many people off. That's where Chrome, oh, that's where Chrome OS is kind of interesting to me because it runs Linux apps, so it does give people some access. It, it may be proprietary bullshit and run by the most evil corporation in the world outside of Amazon. Uh, but the point is, is that it does at least give some access to students who might otherwise not have to Linux applications, um, and that may be a good thing. 
it, it, it may not be everything we asked for and would want in an ideal world where everyone's running a System76 laptop and uh, you know Ubuntu or Arch Linux or Gentoo or whatever, but it's something at least. Uh, and it wasn't done altruistically is the problem, right? The, the one thing we wanted is yeah. is done is because it was done for the, the, the greater good. It was done for the good of the, of humanity. No, it was done because Google want, need some applications for their, for their, for their laptops. Right. And they didn't want to, yeah. uh, nobody was, uh, you know, coding electron apps or web apps and they really aren't still, uh, you know, they wanted some, Stuff that actually did things like, you know, Caden Live, and they wanted to bring Steam to Chrome OS, you know. That's the reason why they were doing it. So, I don't know. Yeah. World is doomed. We're fucked over. Yep. Yep. We'll, we will never have our FOSS in schools unless... Like you, you look at Google and Microsoft, happens. and you're like, this is why we don't have nice things, right? This, <laughs> this right here, why, this is why we don't have nice things. Also, that's how we get ants, okay? <laughs> You ever seen the the first episode um, of Archer? Uh, that's the um... animated spy movie on FX. Not, not movie. Oh yeah, show. yeah, yeah. That first that first episode called Mole. That he 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 flips the the donuts out of Pam's hands like that right there. That's how we get ants. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I don't know why, but when you said Archer at first, I started thinking of of uh, the CW's like Arrow, and I was like, wait, I was like, am I thinking about the right show? Because in my head, I was like, I was seeing the logo for like Arrow with, and in my head, I was I was replacing it with Archer, and I was like, that just it doesn't seem that doesn't right. fit. <laughs> yeah, they're kind of different. Uh, Ar- <laughs> Big time. Archer was good until like season four, and then it kind of went downhill just a little bit but i watched all of them i i liked it i know i i know a lot of people think it dropped off i i liked it but well a lot of people a lot of people canceled it in their mind because the spy agency had the same name as the terrorist group but that was that spy organization existed before the terrorist group okay just calm down fuck people all right all right so anything else to say on this topic no, I don't think so. We really didn't covered it. We didn't really talk about how to get governments to do it, but governments have been they're wishy-washy on their software and they switch things all the time. So like Germany, I think it was like Munich, somewhere in Germany. Uh they used Linux for ages and then Microsoft built their corporation headquarters for Germany right like right next door to Munich or whatever it was and they switched to Windows. Like <laughs> So, yeah, that happens all the time. Anyway, so, moving on. At Every week, I get the itchiest nose during the podcast. I don't know why. It's so stupid. Anyway, so, <laughs> at the end of the episode of every podcast, we come up with a thingy of the week. Now, we, this is a very creatively named section, as you can tell. We uh, didn't want to steal app of the week or picks of the week or uh, tip tricks and picks that the DLN guys do. Uh, so we came up with thingy of the week. So Tyler, what is your thingy of the week? My thingy of the week is WeChat for IRC. Not that WeChat. It, <laughs> no, not not the one from China that's heavily, you know, censored and will definitely spying on you a hundred percent, like a hundred thousand percent. Not that one. 
it's a good one. It's a good client for IRC, and it's fantastic. It's WEE chat, and it it has great documentation. Um, if you have never used IRC, but you want to use IRC, I highly recommend going and getting the WeChat client. It's a terminal client, and uh, you can... Uh, just download it and then go through their quick start guide and that will get you started on um, IRC. And then if you don't have any IRC channels that you already subscribe to, or you again, are just getting into it and you want to, I've created one. It's, it's on the Libra chat network. It's called um, it's the channels hashtag Unix tube. And so you can join that uh, if you are interested in talking about, well, Linux, BSD, all that kind of stuff. And we've got quite a few different creators in there and quite a few different people from the community. So you're all more than welcome to join in. And it's a good intro to IRC because most of the people in there are, especially if you're new to IRC, it's perfect because most of the people in there are also new to IRC. And so if you want to ask questions that you might be afraid to because you think they're dumb, don't worry. It's okay. The chat log will actually prove I got help from people to figure out how to just manage the channel, set the topic and shit like that. So it's fine. Come on in. I'm going to join. I, I promised that I was going to join. I, I will join. I, 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 I don't I don't expect you to immediately start using something that you that you're not used to. Well, I'm all about cause. that. I'm all about that proprietary stuff, man. I got to have discord. Mm-hmm. I've got to have uh, uh, like whatsapp uh, this this is the stuff that i champion uh on, we, d- on. don't worry we all understand it. you're just like the linux foundation you <laughs> preach about foss and then behind the scenes you're like adobe is this shit see what you don't know is that i record my videos all my stuff is in a vm and underneath that really is what i'm using is windows 7 it, it would be even better if just all of your videos are recorded and then you have like a Hackintosh VM that you use Final Cut to like edit everything in. I, I know some Linux YouTubers that actually do that, by the way. Um, really? Yeah, they, they prefer Final Cut. So uh, the, the thing that I've learned about using Linux is that you can't judge people for using other things as long as they still use some Linux. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. Like... At the beginning of my journey, I, like yes, I judged people who didn't use Linux full time. But throughout the last couple of years, there have been things that I wish I had that are available on Mac or Windows that I wish I could have used. It's only my stubbornness not to use those things that you know has seen me not like dual boot or something. Um, other people don't have the same luxury as I do to you know just stick on Linux and do stuff. You know, some people have to use. Photoshop. Some people have to use, you know, whatever that's available on Windows. And I, as, as long as they're still interested in Linux and supporting FOSS projects and stuff like that, they're my buddies, you know? Unless your name is Tyler and you're using Windows, fuck you. Fuck that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, I was like, so that means everyone, like, if you're not interested in Linux and you're not using it at all, then just buy. <laughs> like, if, if you are Tyler and you're using Windows 11 and you're coming on a podcast called The Linux Cast Using Windows, uh, 
mm-hmm. banned. Which has never happened before. It, it, it has <laughs> never. It's fake news. It's never happened. I have. I don't think he, this. The, the, here, here's a guy who doesn't understand how recording works. <laughs> I, I went a little, Those recordings do not exist. I, I, They're fake. I went a little Frank Caliendo there, you know. <laughs> All right. So my thingy of the week is called Better Bird. Now, Better Bird, as the title uh, or as the name suggests, is a better version of Thunderbird. Now, I haven't quite understood what's so good about it yet, um, but I will say that's faster. So uh, it does seem to be a little bit less memory intensive than Thunderbird. It also includes several different features that don't really matter to me, but I know a lot of people... uh, prefer the way like outlook does multi-threaded like emails and stuff like that this allows um it allows you to do that multi-threaded uh, multi-threaded email stuff inside of Betterbird, whereas thunderbird does not support it so uh, someone i don't remember who it was either someone on twitter or someone on discord i can't remember i'm sorry pointed this out to me and i'm using it now and it's pretty good uh, I will, like I said, the only benefit for me so far has been that it's a little bit faster and uses less, uh, less memory. Uh, but for people who need that other stuff, it still does not support Exchange. I'm sorry about that. Uh, I know a lot of people like, oh, if only Thunderbird supported Exchange. Like, I understand a lot of people have to use Exchange, and I'm sorry for those people, but it doesn't seem to, it doesn't support Exchange. So, uh, yeah, Better Bird is 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 good, um, and obviously free and open source stuff. So, that is my thing. Of the work of the work of the week whatever the, the word work. is yeah. basically um, these words definitely not something that i'm good at all right anyway so that is it for this episode uh we have uh coming up next week i don't actually know um, i'm sure pretty sure it's my turn again oh we're gonna be talking about uh right to repair next week so we've been getting into some really really deep topics lately so uh, that should be another one that should be really good i think and, and then uh, mr tyler there needs to put in some more topics um just a little bit just a a few i will also put in some more topics so uh, that we actually have something to talk about in the upcoming weeks so uh before we go i should take a moment to thank my current patrons which uh you guys are going to get to see this fantastic graphic again before uh you can subscribe to the you can support the page uh, the problem with this thing being animated is that i'm going to have to keep up with the damn thing and if i don't keep up with the damn thing i'm going to have to start over again so uh patreon.com slash linux cash is where you can support us uh, you can uh thank these current supporters uh, robert sid devon patrick fred kramer meglin jackson tools steve a Super linux garrick samuel kb tgb mitchell j dog carbon data jeremy sean odin martin e andy ross eduardo merrick camp joshua Lee, peter a crucible dark man six primus and pm uh, thanks everybody for watching. Like I said, we record this live every Thursday between the hours of 3 p.m. Eastern time-ish and around 5 or so. It usually lasts around 2 o'clock, 2 hours or so. Uh, you can find the post-record on the YouTube channel. If you would like or prefer the audio version, you can find that at linuxcast.org. Uh, I think that's all I have to say, so we'll see you next week. Boy.